Okay, guys. Thank you for tuning in. This is Adam Martin, the Fit Pharmacist, and we are having a very special podcast, live Instagram, live Facebook on Dr. Joe Klimzewski's page, soon to be Dr. Kevin Brunacini's page, uh, and of course my page. So with that, we are going to be talking about the future of healthcare and the important role that nutrition plays with this. So let me start out with defining what I am and what the movement is, okay? So what is the fit pharmacist? Is it a person? Is it a place? No, it is a movement in the profession of pharmacy to be better, to deliver your full potential. The core belief is this. If we're functioning at 100%, our relationships improve, we become energized in our career, and we live a fulfilled life. My name is Dr. Adam Martin, and you're listening to the Fit Pharmacist Podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Joining me today, we have two very special guests to talk about a very serious topic, nutrition in the future of healthcare. Emphasis in the way medicine is practiced is taking a turn away from just treating the symptoms to focusing on prevention. What better way to cut down on the cost of care than to eliminate it altogether? One of the cornerstone areas of focus to make that happen centers on nutrition. You've heard the phrase, we are what we eat, but developing a healthy relationship with food and avoiding deprivation or fad diets is the mainstay for sustained long-term success. But how do we make that a reality? That's what we're going to talk about today to give you guys insight. And what better way to do this than the eve of New Year's as we head into 2018. Joining me today are the top experts in the field of nutrition who also work in the healthcare sector, Dr. Joe Klimzeski and soon-to-be Dr. Kevin Brunacini. A little bit of uh, background on these outstanding guys that we're going to be talking with today. First is Dr. Joe Klimzeski. He is the president and founder of The Diet Doc, a nutrition company leading patients to sustained weight loss with over 25 years of success holding degrees in physical therapy, health, nutrition, health education, and literary journalism. The Diet Doc has been so successful in leading patients to long-term health improvements that he has developed almost 170 Diet Doc weight loss centers across North America, Australia, Singapore, South Africa, New Zealand, and the UK. And the Fit Pharmacist is powered by the Diet Doc nutrition system. So I am a firm believer because I do it myself. Soon to be Dr. Kevin Brunacini sitting with me now uh, holds both a bachelor's and master's in nursing and will be graduating with a doctor of nursing practice this coming fall. Over the course of four years, he sustainably lost and kept off, ready for this guys, 121 pounds through healthy lifestyle modifications and established himself as a health leader in the profession. This guy took the diet doc system, put it into practice, and has maintained it. How many years ago was this? Uh, 2012. 2012, so we're going to 2018. This guy looks pretty pretty ripped, right? I mean, he's... he's woohoo. Woohoo, exactly. So uh, I want to thank you both, Dr. Joe and soon-to-be Dr. Kevin, for being with me today. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Hey, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. So, I want to dive right into it. So, we always want to start with the why. So, today we're talking about weight being a problem, the health of 
the healthcare industry and also just weight in general with the United States. We hear this over and over. It's in the media. It's in the newspapers. So I want to start with this question. Uh, Dr. Joe, I'd love your insight being such an expert in this field. Why is weight such a problem in the United States? Well, there have been a lot of changes happening pretty rapidly. Um, I think one of the top you always have to talk about first is just less physical activity, more sedentary careers and jobs and people just even recreationally doing things more in a, in a fixed position. So just, just not a lot of movement and at the same time uh, more convenience. If you, you combine those two things, uh, a lot of people talk about sugar and fat and the actual foods that we're consuming, but those really have to do more with the social settings we find ourselves in, which are just very convenience-based. So a lot less food being consumed at home, a lot less time being spent preparing food, and we're just relying more on, on takeout and convenience food and eating out as well as sitting around. So those are the two factors that are creating this perfect storm. Right, absolutely. And then the other thing, too, um, that I have seen with uh, people attempting to um, improve this is they look at just the food, but they escape the all-important mindset piece because what we think determines our actions and behaviors, right, um, which is what I think a really awesome asset that the Diet Doc offers is the fact that it's oftentimes, like you said, convenient. So what is that? It's easy. It relieves stress of cooking or you know, planning out meals. It's convenience-based, right? So the mindset of ease and avoiding that pain of having to prepare can be a huge factor too. Absolutely, no question. Excellent. So I kind of touched on that in that people try to look for that quick fix because they are aware that there's a problem and awareness is the first step, but then they move into you know, solutions. Um, and there are a lot of options out there of you know, lose 20 pounds in 20 minutes and all these, these claims that may hold true in the short term, but in the long term, uh, those results are far to be desired. So with the popular diet strategies that are out there now as far as fad diets and things that we hear about, um, why do they not work long term? Why is there this hunger, um, excuse the pun, um, for a long-term sustainable strategy to keep the weight off and change the behaviors that led to getting that weight issue in, in the first place. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eventually punt this back over to Kevin because I think his story and losing 120 pounds and keeping it off for more than five years really explains on the field what has to happen. But the two things that you just mentioned there, the mindset component and then looking at our options. How do we actually navigate ourselves into a sustainable weight loss pattern? And um, I probably should announce too much about this, but uh, Dr. Corey Probst, our wellness director and health psychologist at the Diet Doc, and I are creating something that is going to be in our next book that we released this year, and it's going to be a very novel tool that helps people kind of map how their brain functions, what are your strengths, your personality characteristics, uh, the motives that you have when you look at psychological models like self-determination theory, how does that work with the types of, of even uh, functionality we have in our brain through our limbic system, neocortex, things like that. So we're combining a, a few disciplines and looking at exactly how 
stimuli comes into the brain and then where it flows through, how that grids through us individually, and then uh, two things. We need to then know, okay, this is how this person learns best. These are their learning capabilities and strengths and assets that they bring cognitively to the table. And then, you know, what are those correlational weaknesses? Whatever our strengths are, there are probably some correlating deficits that we need to be aware of and challenges. So we're creating something that's going to help people identify exactly how they're going to succeed best because we've always addressed this in terms of mechanics. So the types of diets we have available, things like low-carb, high-carb, low-fat, high-fat, balanced stuff, Mediterranean, intermittent fasting, all those things, we know through research that all of those can work, and there are some common denominators that make them more successful than others, but at the core of it, it still has to fit us, not just socially, but intellectually, how our brains actually work. So as you said, mind and mindset and cognition, all that stuff is, is very important, and to date, it's just not been addressed on an individual basis in nutrition or medicine. And so that's what Corey and I are going to be launching this year. Pretty excited about it, obviously. There's a lot of things that Corey has been doing for years, but to pull this together and have an actual academic resource in a new uh, division in psychology, an entire new field that we can kind of pioneer and say this is how we need to merge psychology and cognitive behavior science with nutrition is something that she, she started to do in her dissertation for her, uh, her doctorate a few years ago, and we're just going to really do something big with this. But uh, in terms of you know, what that means to us as, as human beings to create sustainable weight loss patterns, uh, I'll, I'll go to uh, how we started applying this with one of our clients just this week. He was struggling. He's lost 50 or 60 pounds, and he just kind of reached a roadblock. And he said, man, I knew, like, this is the point I always get to, and I just can't get through this. And so I did with him exactly what I'm talking to you guys about, which is looking at his strengths, looking at his personality traits that can help identify why that is. And he's extremely high in leadership skills and novelty and creativity. He's out there creating things. He's an entrepreneur, a business executive. So he gets excited about creating things and, and being out in front. So once he gets down the road 50 or 60 pounds, it loses its novelty. And we have to find ways playing to his strengths that make this exciting and new again. So he's a spreadsheet guy, analytics, metrics. He wants to have the why behind it. So that's one thing. So we're playing to his strength, or we need to, to help him keep going. But that correlating deficit is because he's so used to being out there doing things like that on the cutting edge, he doesn't have to often implement and put together the pieces that are maybe difficult. So he's got people to do that for him, right? Um, so nobody's going to do this for him, though, with his own personal weight loss and health. So now this is a new territory for him, so we need to address those deficits. So th this is what I mean by you have to use your brain. You have to understand your mind, your personality, your, your social intelligence, emotional intelligence, and then be able to pull in the, the metrics and the mechanics of nutrition. So you, you have to know something about nutrition physiology, which I know we're going to get into a little bit. But you have to be able to merge those two things, your behavior, your brain, with that nutrition knowledge. 
And uh, as I said, moving it back over to Kevin, at some point as a young guy in college and graduate school, he made that connection. He said, I don't want to live the life I'm living now. I'm miserable. I'm obese. I'm hypocritically going into healthcare with 120 pounds of extra body fat. So how in the world you know, can I even consider those two things being, being a sustainable way to, to enjoy a career? So, so Kevin, obviously, you know, something happened in his brain to make that shift. So I'll let him talk about what that meant to him and what that was like. It, it perfectly segues into a, a point that I was going to piggyback off what you had mentioned about uh, just with your story, you're mentioning this gentleman getting to a sticking point and never getting beyond that point for whatever reason. And I experienced that many times through my, it ultimately took four years to, to meet my end goal of at that time, which uh, in retrospect was pretty low of 155 pounds for my body frame, but nevertheless, I, I guess I didn't know what that would have looked like. So I just knew that was some arbitrary goal. But nevertheless, um, you know, over a four-year period, I lost, uh, I yo-yoed rather, uh, uh, but never getting past 175-ish uh, until about the fourth year. And what the catalyst uh, in my mind of what my aha moments, because I knew plenty of nutrition. I took additional dietetics for my own personal uh, education in undergrad because of my, uh, my overweightness or my obesity. I wanted to know how I could do better for myself, not, not to mention for any clinical application. But... Uh, despite my education, despite what I may have known uh, evidence-based-wise of what is best and having experimented with very cliche routes and fattish, uh, fattish diets, the best thing that I found to be or the most sustainable thing for me was incorporating my values, how I learned in terms of, uh, of a cognitive approach to dieting or to, to live healthy. Because I can, we all know you can have the best plan, but if we can't execute it in a sustainable manner that's practical, mm. enjoyable, effective, whatever uh, whatever goals that we have, the plan will falter, or it's certainly not going to be as effective or efficient. And to me, uh, how I, because I'm kind of a little bit more backtracking, when I was in school, I failed out, and as a result, because uh, I had no study habits, I just crammed. And um, as an analogy of diet, fad dieting in this manner, it doesn't really help me. I can, I can pass an example by cramming, much like you can lose weight with, losing, with doing a fad diet, but it's not going to maintain. You're not going to keep it off. You're not going to retain. And when it comes to, new, to education, instead of cramming for an exam like I used to, it's a matter of what can I do every day in a sustainable, enjoyable sense, and that's value-based of wanting to earn a degree ultimately. How can I maintain these behaviors every day and do better, do effectively with with less willpower, if you want to call it, or less uh, uh, less uh, uh, feeling uh, less exhausted by the same by doing those behaviors? So, uh, with that understanding, that uh, transi- transitioning, transferring those skills of of education to weight loss to health, that's how I viewed my approach of. What, you know, what can I do every day that is practical, and if it takes me longer, big deal, because it's going to come off either way, but I want to maintain this down the road because of my health status and my leadership. I want to preach what I teach. No one will trust me, with, uh, and I won't have credibility if I am overweight, can't practice what I do, and teach my patients. Therefore, 
um, I had to take it on, on a very uh, you know everyday basis and having that mindset is ultimately what was the drastic the catalyst of my results to ultimately keep the weight off now for five plus years and be what I am now. The integrity is huge to you. It's what drives your actions and your follow through with the commitment to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. So what I hear both of you say, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, Adam, that's, that's an excellent uh, point to what I was talking about with what uh, Dr. Probst and I are working on, which is to identify what you just said about Kevin. You know, integrity is, is, a, is a very categorical personality trait, and for him to tap into that um, and say that's, that's not good enough, I, my behavior does not match the personality trait goal that I have, that's how you pierce right down into the soul of what can make a permanent change because anything else is just superficial. Right. Um, one of the things, guys, before we go on, and I know you got a, a question, Adam. I've, I've got a couple people on my Facebook feed who say they have questions and so forth. So, you know, Justin, feel free to type things in there, anybody else, and, and we'll definitely get to them. I'll, I'll write some notes as we go through the interview. So uh, go ahead, Adam. Sorry about that. Oh, no, that's fine. So what I hear uh, from both of you, there, there's three main points that came to light um, as far as how to not only lose weight but to improve your life for a sustainable long-term change. Um, the first of which is cookie-cutter approaches do not work because everyone is different in that everyone's coming from different experiences. Everyone has different endpoints that they want to go, um, some not to lose weight, some to maybe get uh, more tone or just maintain weight as a number or a metric, but be more in control or in tune with your eating habits, or some even gain weight, that could be a goal. Um, but that's the first thing is it's, it's a very individualized approach and that's why a lot of these um, popular or fad diets don't work is because it's, you know, sign here and here's our cookie cutter, go and have at it. Um, so that's, that's one thing. The second um, that you both touched on and I think is essential, because uh, I agree with it from my own experience, is that of skill scaffolding. So building, you know, teaching the basics, focusing on that groundwork that's you know, it might seem like easy, but really like honing in on that. And then from that success, build on that progress and keep going in a stepwise fashion um, so that each advancement builds on the mastery of the previous. Um, and then the third thing that I really resonate with Kevin, um, especially as a healthcare practitioner, is uh, that of, you know, it, it, it transfers. It's their transferable skills from one to the other. So while he might have had this tremendous success in weight loss and having a healthy relationship with food and mindset and all of those components, all of the benefits and skill sets and um, basically advancements that he has learned through that time have carried over into other areas of his life. Uh, and for me personally, that's why, that's why the Fit Pharmacist company was born because whenever I was in pharmacy school, I didn't know how to, I'd never been in pharmacy school, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, but around that time, I got really into drug-free bodybuilding and, and working out. So pairing the skills required to lead to success in, you know, not necessarily getting A's um, on everything because C's get degrees, but it's all about the relationships. That's what I focus on that. Not <laughs> Um, but, you know, what needs to happen for you to do well or perform at your optimum in school? You've got to eat right. 
you've got to sleep well, and you've got to stay focused and engaged. What's got to happen for your workouts to succeed in the gym? You've got to eat right, you've got to sleep well, and you've got to be, you know, have that mental mindset connection with, you know, mind-muscle, okay? You've got to be engaged in your workouts. So in one area, it translated into the other, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, these are two things I'm passionate about, and that's what brought about the Fit Pharmacist, fitness and pharmacy. Um, if you live at your 100% potential, you can take better care of your patients, right? So I really resonated with what Kevin said and wanted to make that a point, but from what you said, Dr. Joe, um, and what Kevin has shared with his experience, um, I think those three concepts are really profound in what it takes to create a change that's going to last and carry over into all aspects of life. I, uh, I want to start, I'll, I'll kind of weave those three things together as well, and I'll start with what you mentioned, skill scaffolding, because I remember Corey created a, a podcast series or, or maybe a blog series where she kind of coined that term, and I think it's a great picture of how all learning happens, right? We, you know, we have to learn something to build on that and build on that and build on that, and people do expect weight loss just to be something like, bam, my goal is to lose 20 pounds or 100 pounds, and I'm going to just churn my way through that, and, and it's over. And we don't often consider that it's a process, and you have to dig through one thing at a time. This, this client I mentioned, that we were doing the hard work this week of helping him uncover his personality strengths so we could get to his correlating deficit potentials, you know, that's hard work because you have to shine a light at yourself and say, here's what I suck at. Like, this is not good enough, and nobody wants to think that that even exists. And so for him to say, you know, how do I improve that? I've spent an entire lifetime of settling into this pattern that works for me, but it's not working here. So it's not like we can just learn one concept or start a different type of diet. And, and that's what he would typically do as a leader, as a creator, as a pioneer. He would just say, okay, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, that one didn't work. And he would just keep moving to the next mountain to climb instead of doing the work to, to change himself internally and build those new skills based on what he's identifying. So. So those skills are huge, and it's a process. And then, like you said, it transfers to everything. Because imagine now when he does that for the, the sole precept of weight loss, how that's going to transfer to the rest of his life as a, as a father, as a husband, as, a, as an employer, that kind of thing. He's just going to be a better person. And um, to that end, I'll, I'll, I'll push back over to Kevin with just saying that you know that's another reason why cookie cutter anything just doesn't work. That's so binary. The human brain, which it, it's it's evolved to be like that. I mean, we take in stimuli and we have to identify it, and those are binary decisions. We don't see something and then pick through a million different potentials. We look at you know good, bad, threat, non-threat, hot, cold, up, down. I mean, those are you know, a series of pinging nonstop binary processes that we go through instantly. And if we're stuck in these certain patterns of, let's say, you know, the, the reptilian brain or in self-determination theory it might be um, autonomy, which is like that's just a threat and alerts are going off and so we run from it, well, that doesn't work with weight loss and personal health change. You can't run from something that's uncomfortable. You have to stick in it and work through it and build those, those skills and those steps. And, and that means that, 
you know, is there really anything that's right or wrong when you look at a cookie cutter type diet? If you say, well, this is, you know, my one trick pony uh, business, I only do intermittent fasting or I only do ketogenic diets, that's never going to work for anybody. As a clinician and as the owner of the diet doc, which as you mentioned, we have, we have people all over the globe, clinicians, consultants, professionals who are helping end user clients, they have to understand every tool available in weight loss and be able to apply the right parts of right diets of right methodology to that person as they're ready for it. And so it's a nonstop growth and communication process with that clinician and with that person. And I mean, we're of course applying this to weight loss and personal health, but man, that's, that's how all of life should be, right? I mean, you should look at it as that open road. You don't know where it's going to lead, but you should be open-minded enough and curious enough to want to go find out. So uh, I'll, I'll let Kevin comment on some of that. That's been said. Um, it's, it really nailed it on the nose because it's, it, it, it's going to be repeating what you've said, Joe and, and Adam, of, you know, skill scaffolding and and transferring to all layers of life because I, I I just I as I continue to reflect on my process I have to say the you know while there was a catalyst of credibility personally to start to initiate a change and to begin with but to what kept what made me persevere and kept going was the sake of you know it didn't stop me when I failed out of school to not pursue college education or nursing altogether. I, 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 I failed. I, I had to overcome, assuming I wanted to. I learned, I, got to, I developed uh, strengths in those deficits or skills to bridge those deficits, and here I am now finishing up my doctorate. I learned from that and am much better, and it applies to anything in life. You know, obviously, weight loss and how I persevered through that, but obviously academics, spirituality, uh, marriage, relationships, business, it's all the same in terms of if it's important you will strive and continue to scaffold and build layer upon layer until hopefully self-actualization or you know, you've reached the pinnacle of your success or your goals. You just don't ever stop uh, or shouldn't, uh, otherwise it's there's probably a big problem where you're ignoring something. But uh, yeah, that 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 reminds me of a really good quote that running away from your problems burns zero calories. So it's true because it, it doesn't serve a purpose. It, so, and it's not comfortable. And that's, that's an action signal. So if something is not comfortable, uh, fear, overwhelm, inadequacy, it's not, it's not an overwhelming feeling, but it's a, a cue that there's something that needs to change. There's some sort of action that needs to be taken in order to overcome this and come out better on the other side than you are right now, which is the purpose of the feeling. Um, it's not to ignore that, but to embrace it and use that to build yourself up to even better. Um, and then just really quick back to uh, co the cookie cutter. It doesn't even work for food. Um, I came over last night and uh, Kevin and his wife we're uh, making gingerbread cookies. They didn't even have the cutter, so like, oh, we'll just make our own. I mean, it didn't even work for the food. <laughs> so, um, and they turned out delicious, by the way. And yes, you can have cookies and not freak out that you blew your diet. That's what we teach at the Diet Doc. So it's it's a beautiful thing. Um, but I think that's an awesome testimony to Kevin. Is with the schooling prior. Um, you know, he's he's done his bachelor's, he's done his master's, and in just a few months, he's going to be doctor of nursing practice. So I think that's a phenomenal testament to putting that into practice. It's, it's fun to talk about, 
it's not easy to do, but as you can see, 120 pounds lighter, going to have his doctorate soon, he is a testament to what happens when you commit to that and put that into action. So I think it's, I think it's tremendous. I think nothing of it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Need to pass the time. <laughs> so transitioning to that, so we touched on cookie cutter diets and we started to go into, um, with Kevin's experience, of what, what it takes to lead to success. So with that, because all of us have been involved with the diet doc for years because we believe, it in, believe in it and put it into practice, not only in our lives but in the patients that we serve, um, but just in general, for people that have not heard of the diet doc, what makes it work? What makes it sustainable? Um, and when I say sustainable, it's been around for over 25 years. So it has withstood the test of time and has transformed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives um, across that time. So what, what, is, what makes the diet doc work as a sustainable practice? Well, um so, so where Corey and I have converged, and we do quite often in just our business and, and clinical practice philosophies, are the fact that she has been really big in self-determination theory, and even though I knew that and I, I love that and I, I think through that same grid, uh, I've, I did my second master's degree, the one in literary journalism, in social science writing and ended up doing an entire thesis, a book, centered around personality psychology, which was created by Dr. Peterson and Seligman at, in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, they, they've got all kinds of tools and assessments and things like that, looking at strength-based personality and all that. And I say all that to say that it, the last time I took that test, just recently, you know, out of the 24 character strengths, curiosity was my number one. You know, also in the top five was love of learning, things like that. And that's, that's a pattern I can see throughout my entire life, is just always wanting to know more, always needing the answer, figuring things out, uh, being very open-minded, going wherever, you know, there's knowledge. And, and I just love that. That's, that's still part of my life. I'm still in school. I don't plan on ever stopping. But, <laughs> uh, but I was all the way back kind of where Kevin started in just, well, maybe even before undergrad. I mean, I, I could go back to when I was 11 or 12 years old, and I was a little overweight as a kid, you know, pretty pretty chubby. I don't know how much I ended up losing, but, you know, around that time I decided at, at 12 or so years old this was not the life I wanted. So I started lifting weights. Or I think I had a subscription to Muscle and Fitness by the time I was 12. I remember one of the weight belts I still use. My mom got me for my 12th birthday or Christmas or something that year. And that's where my journey started in deciding I can change myself. I have that kind of self-direction. It's something that I, I hope every human being encounters somewhere around that age where you start to decide you're an autonomous thing. And so I just never looked back. That was so profound to me in how I was able to change the trajectory of my own life and health and all of that that I got interested even when I was in college. I, I went into the Air Force right after high school and started majoring in business and, and marketing and all of that because I just thought that was the thing to do. I think that was my dad kind of speaking into me. But then by the time I got to my senior year, I thought, I don't want to do this. And so I transitioned over. Uh, physical therapy was a very hot uh, field at that time, and that really fit in well. I was training really hard at the, at the time. 
And so that seemed to merge my love of science and physiology and nutrition health with something as a tangible career because even today if somebody comes to me and says, well, I want to get a degree in nutrition, I just want to be, I want to do what you do, it makes me cringe a little bit because there's not really a field for that unless you're going to go into academics or research uh, or be an entrepreneur, which is totally fine, but it's not very stable and, and definitely not set for somebody just to walk in and, and, and have a salary and a career. But that was okay for me because I was moving through those years of being an orthopedic physical therapist and then going on into doing all the graduate work in nutrition and health, again, just for my own self-gratification, my own, you know, I, I would call it kind of a selfish desire just to be a better version of me. And then by the time I finished my first doctorate, I decided, man, I think once again I can make this decision that this is what I want to do. I want to change and, and do what I love. So, you know, what makes the diet doc work, which is your original question, I think that same ethic, that love of learning, that desire to just go wherever the information is, be open-minded, and always find a way to make it work for people individually. Uh, that's where we started uh, way back then, and when I created my first business, you know, just probably around 25 years ago, you know, that, that was the driving component was, was nutrition consulting centered around teaching people what they need to know and then the, the customer service component, which is to help them embed it into their lives on that individual need basis, individual genetics, individual body types, individual metabolic capacity, as well as all the social factors, the foods you like, the, your job, your family. You know, all of that has to merge together. So the Diet Doc has always been very much a communication-based, service-based, one-on-one coaching model. Uh, it's, it's grown to the point where we are, especially in today's skewing of the information age into a lot of video content and so forth, we put out as much as we can to help people just with the principles and the knowledge, but it still comes down to it's always going to work best with somebody side-by-side side with you to guide you through that process. So. That's why we love having guys like you, you and Kevin, uh, on board to help your own clients and patients do that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, su- the support, that's, that's kind of what drew me is um, those are the two main, um, I guess you could say, values of the company is uh, science and support. So science in that you know, it's proven. It's not like, oh, this works for me, so it'll work for you. No, it's like proven through research time and time again. But then the support of people who are trained in this material um, have done what they're preaching, so there's that integrity there, um, and they lead them to success because they actually care. Uh, how many clients are now friends, or you know, come to family gatherings, things like that, uh, that they, you just built this bond because you care so much about the struggle, and a lot of times it's not about the food, it's about you know, what's going on in life. Um, with the, the history that you've gone through, what your goals are, and those goals change through time. So having that flexible approach rather than the black and white thinking, um, which are two huge concepts that we talk about and help clients work through. Um, I know for myself, um, flexibility and overcoming black and white uh, is still a process to this day. Um, I've improved a lot over the years, um, but it was very like, you know, A or B, there's no C, but, you know, there's uppercase, lowercase, cursive, all this other options to do that, right? So it, it's, it's profound and it's a process. 
And what we talked about with skill scaffolding really does hold true, I feel, um, for myself and for the clients that we work with, um, with the diet talk. So I, I agree with both of you with, with what you said. Um, now, having said that, back to the crux of, of this talk with the future of healthcare being prevention and how nutrition has such a play with that, we talked about um, some of the most common modalities and uh, things that people try that unfortunately don't work. It's great that they try and they're motivated to take action, but as far as you know, what works long-term to create that lasting change, that's where the diet talk comes in as the solution. But with all of this that we talked about in nutrition and prevention and healthcare, how will this play into the future of healthcare um, with things moving now um, in, as that a focus? Uh, reimbursement rates, um, having payers uh, offer incentives for this type of thing. Um, I'd love to hear your insight into that, Dr. Joe, with how you think this is moving with so much change in healthcare coming up, not even in the future, but now. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear Kevin's perspective because he's in school right now looking at some of these things. But, you know, for my entire career, this goes all the way back to the 90s when the Clinton administration was creating the first wave of managed care, and things changed a lot. As a physical therapist, I was used to seeing 16 patients a day. So I could, you know, I had a physical therapy assistant and a physical therapy aide. We could have two or three patients there at the same time. And, you know, I would get 30 or so minutes one-on-one -on -one with my patients. And then in one short year, uh, clinics and hospitals were moving to a model where I would be responsible for 100 patients a day. And I was sending more aides out to different facilities, and they're rendering this treatment, and I'm just co-signing notes on patients I didn't even see. Hmm. And so at that time we were already talking about how because there would be lower reimbursement rates and higher premium costs and the whole medical system was basically pacing itself out of reach as far as affordability, that that incentive would make people take care of themselves better. That would force them to be more preventive. And of course that hasn't happened because, I mean, we, we it just, it doesn't, it's not part of human nature to think, well, I think, I might be afraid of having diabetes in 20 years, so I'll eat a little bit less sugar now or something. It's just, it's not on the forefront of our minds. And so I don't know where that could come from unless you hit people where it hurts the most, which is where they live right now. And it's not often due to reimbursement rates and those kind of things because you can just, you know, if you don't have insurance, you go to the ER. If you can't pay your bills, you file bankruptcy. There's still not a pain point deep enough unless you're hitting people um, with what we're talking about, you know, your own personal ethics, your own personal goals and values in life, is this how you want to live? Is it okay for you to get out of breath walking up a flight of stairs? Is it okay for you to have to keep buying jeans and dresses two sizes higher every year? Is it okay for you to look in the mirror and be 100 pounds overweight? I mean, those are the questions I think that matter more than just future healthcare complications or reimbursement rates. But that's that's my opinion, and uh, that's just kind of what I see and what motivates people to change now. But as far as the interdynamics of what's happening within the healthcare insurance industry and that kind of thing, I'll I'll let Kevin address that maybe. I'm going to be. Uh 
my, my most previous semester actually did a couple projects on, I don't want to say this very idea, but uh, it's basically introducing how the DIDUC program can be utilized in primary care practices. Um, it's I can start off by saying the the you know, my word my pitiful the pitiful reimbursements for uh, primary care services as a whole, but especially nutrition from a Kentucky and Med, uh, Medicare in the state of Kentucky. It's you know, they'll, they'll cover two visits in a in a calendar year, and uh, kind of to kind of bridge us into uh, what Joe's saying. You know what is the value for? Uh, I think to, what I'm hearing is to elicit change for an individual or in healthcare. How, what can we do to elicit change for a patient uh, in terms of uh, medical services or whatever that may be? And and kind of, and also piggybacks further on what makes Zydoc different is that support. And I this is why I got jaded. This is why I pushed myself out if, uh, or wanted to leave primary care rather. Is because there was a there was no sense of connection with patients. It's here's your pill, smell you later. You got 10 minutes. I don't uh, I don't have time because I got 40 others behind the door that I need to see in this hour and 40 more every hour every hour for the next eight hours. It's just it wasn't practical as much as uh, we would want to send, spend more time with patients and perhaps truly educate them on preventative services. But you know if, if we're not being reimbursed, there's that incentive of who cares. Uh, hate that to say that, but then you also have the patient perspective of maybe they don't want to hear it, they're not ready, and you know, it's not going to help if that's the case, but I think what's, yeah, what's most important is, is that support to, to, to be there for the individual and um, even if, the, you know, and there's not a, an issue of reimbursement here or a money and exchange of services being an issue necessarily, but it's to, from a human, humanistic um, uh, quality or humanistic characteristic of you know, we want to be we want to be heard we want to be valued we want to be we want to connect and be be belonged with something and connectedness and I think that's in med in medicine I wasn't getting that and uh, that's why I have left and that's why I value that's that's why I value primary care because it allows me to have that time with patients and truly help them in my opinion to prevent obviously and or prevent complications or keep from complications becoming worse and it's rather basic when you teach some of the, the teach the things of nutrition stress management sleep quality etc cetera, etc cetera, you're going to feel better more confident you're going to have that connection obviously and it's not that profound it's not, it's not astounding at all and that's what's disheartening I feel in medical culture and I hope you know through my to the further remaining months of my of my education that uh, I can develop blueprint to make this more become a reality in primary care and medicine in general would be a pretty broad statement, uh, bold statement, but nevertheless, uh, uh, primary care needs that help and direction uh, to truly make it what it is to me, and that is to teach, to help those individuals one-on-one -on -one to live sustainably, healthily. So, um, Adam, Kevin brought up a couple points there that I think really address your question quite well, which is, reimbursement rates are the driving force behind the care that is actually articulated and executed for patients. And just in the last maybe 10 years have insurance companies started even reimbursing for nutrition services and to the point that, that how things are paid for matters. 
um, we have to teach or consult to that model. If, if we are going to be in the insurance reimbursement game and we want to serve those types of patients, then you have to understand, okay, this insurance company is only going to reimburse you $25 per consultation and you get maybe a dozen per year and so there's that fixed reimbursement rate. And when that is levied through the industry, everybody who, who provides those services adjusts their practice models. And so the amount of care, the amount of one-on-one -on -one education and support you can give either drives people, consultants like us, from saying, well, we're just not going to accept insurance. And so there's that whole group of people who need us the most that can't get to us or we have to water it down to the point where it's not providing the service that we need uh, that's going to be effective. And so that is something, and, and it's only going it's, it's to get worse, I mean, in terms of how much money is, is put out into the market from insurance company reimbursement. So we have to figure out ways as clinicians to decide how we can best leverage our time and still get maximum effectiveness. And that's nothing new. I mean, everybody has to deal with how can we provide more for less? How is that going to work? But it's a constant challenge, and the driving factor is always going to be reimbursement. So anybody in, in political science realms or uh, hospital administration, insurance industry executives that say it behooves us at some level to have healthier patients, because it should, right? I mean, an insurance company can make more profit if their patients are healthier, so they have to at some point say funneling more money, more reimbursement into preventative health care on the nutritional level, the lifestyle level, all the things that Kevin was just talking about actually is profitable, personally for the patients, of course, but for them as a company, since they're the one paying the bill, that's, uh, that's going to be a slow ship to turn, and it's going to take a lot of studies where people insurance in the insurance industry can see that it is uh, you know, where they should put their emphasis, but that's kind of, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the factor that we all have to live by. Right. Understood. So well. I would ask you, Adam, real quick, because... This show is called The Fit Pharmacist, and you are a pharmacist who, and, and I know you personally, always trying to make a difference in every single uh, customer and patient's life. I mean, that's just your personal ethic, which I love. And you're trying to do it industry-wide within the pharmaceutical world. You're, you're trying to bring pharmacists on board to receive training to not just dispense medications and fill prescriptions, but... You want to you want to ultimately make a difference in how your profession even you know, acts out their services. How how do you look at uh, the impact of reimbursement and just your ability to spend the time doing these kinds of things? Right, that's an excellent question, Joe. So this takes me back, and Kevin and I were just talking about this last night. Um, how when we started. Um, as a pharmacist, well, I was actually talking about this with another uh, colleague of mine who's in a similar uh, realm. He actually left the pharmacy practice to do this full time. Um, but what we were talking about was when we started in as a licensed pharmacist, every single patient we interacted with, we wanted to give them our best, and we still do. But you can't start spitting out information if you don't know where they are 
in their own process or their readiness to learn. Unfortunately, there are a lot of patients who do not want to do any diet or exercise. They want a pill because it's the, the fix. Um, and I have seen this firsthand where I, you know, just touch the waters like, oh, do you have any questions for the pharmacist? Oh, you know, I want to get off these medications. I'm like, oh, well, like these are actually preventable conditions. Um, you can control these with diet and exercise. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever talked about that? And then they think and say, like, no, just give me the pills. I don't want to deal with it. Well, are you going to, like, go on this whole counseling barrage? It's kind of like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Um, so it's really meeting people where they are if they want that. Um, so that's the first thing. The other is uh, finding time for people. Um, so for me, it's a lot of collaboration with other healthcare practitioners because uh, it depends on where patients are, like I said, and what they want to learn. Um, so I've done a lot of work with some chiropractors um, who see the value in medication for certain conditions they are necessary. However, for a lot of conditions, a lot of issues people are trying to treat, they're addressing the symptoms instead of really getting to the root cause of that. So you have cholesterol, it doesn't run in your family. What's the, what's the issue? Oh, your diet, your, what you're eating, that also raises the blood pressure. Um, all of this uncontrolled eating can lead to prediabetes or even type 2 diabetes. So these are conditions that can be prevented if someone is willing to look at that awareness stage, like you said, what do I, what do I suck at? Um, I want to get better at this area. Um, so that, that whole mindset piece, that willingness to take that step, even if it's the first step of you know, assessing the situation that maybe it's not that medication is the only answer. It does definitely have a place, but can it work more effective with appropriate nutrition and exercise guidance? Yes. Can it even be eliminated? In many cases, yes. So all of that is a possibility, but it really comes down to what the patients want, um, where the readiness to change is, and if they're willing to take those, those action steps. Um, so that is, you know, conversations that I have. Um, and every now and then you do uh, come with people that, you know, even in church, that's where I meet a lot of uh, the people I've worked with is, you know, oh, your dad says you're into nutrition and you're a pharmacist. That's interesting. I take 12 medications. Um, I eat like garbage. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it's getting expensive. I have all these side effects. Two medications turn into four to treat them. I just can't go on living this way anymore. Um, and I want someone that understands the medications because, you know, they can be complicated and there's a lot that goes into that. But I want someone that really knows nutrition, that can meet me where I am, and that can give me medication guidance along with that nutrition. And those are the people that I am really passionate about helping because they want to. They want to learn. They want to change. They, they want to have that interaction, and they're hungry for it. Um, so that is really where I, I focus um, with that. I hope that answers your question with how to fit that in. Um, but yes, that is uh, what we do at the Fit Pharmacist is help other pharmacists and pharmacy professionals who are looking to um, make this model of medications have a place, but nutrition and exercise can have a much more profound effect on people taking control of their own health and not just, you know, I was prescribed a pill, so that's, that's what I have to do. 
No, it's like thinking like, well, I was prescribed a pill, but are there other options? Are there other things that I can do? For some conditions, no, but that's why it's so valuable having a healthcare practitioner that understands nutrition uh, like Kevin um, that you know, has that background, but you know, can merge that with the nutrition and have those conversations. Are you willing to go on this journey? What are your goals look like? Do you want to come off medication? Are there any um, gaps that we can bridge through counseling, through medication therapy management, which is what I do as a pharmacist? Um, all of these different modalities, but it really comes down to you know where are the patients at, um, where are they looking to go, and from there creating that action plan and, and being an accountability partner, uh, which is so paramount with, with being a diet doc clinician. So this is where I think, and I had a couple of friends uh, posting some comments and questions on my feed. Um, this is what I mean by reimbursement will always be the driving force and the ship will always turn slowly. You as a pharmacist, uh, you're trying to be preventative with your education and the, the time investment with your, your customers and your patients, but then the person writing your paycheck is going to see a decreasing amount of profit because you're dispensing less medications. And so that's going to completely dismantle the entire machinery unless that provider has skin in the game, can make profit on the preventative side. And this is, this is why this is so important. Exactly. Um, a friend of mine who's a medical doctor and PhD researcher is the head of, I think, all of European operations and Merck Pharmaceutical Company. So he's got a multi-multi-billion dollar budget, and they're obviously in the business of dispensing medication. But as he's seeing the transitions in healthcare and, and you know, reimbursement dollars being the, the driving factor of, of how even profit can be attained, he's trying to get Merck to purchase or build an entire arm of the company that would be all based in nutrition and health modification. And of course, he's getting shut down, right? Because that's just not what they do. It would be you know, completely different from how they make money now. But if they don't do that, they could be like Kodak, who invented digital photography technology, but then suppressed it and everybody else went around them and, and they went bankrupt. So you can either pretend that social change is not occurring or you can be the leader and facilitate it. And from medicine, from, from pharmacy companies like who you work for, um, if they are not getting involved in prevention, they're not gonna be interested in funding it. And so, Again, this may not even happen in our lifetimes, but you're just going to have to make sure that we're all putting pressure on that. So, for example, if you have, for the company you work for, you know, you have your private practice, your own business, and you're making money on the preventative stuff, they're not. So for you to go in there and say, look, you guys at the highest level should consider kind of building this model in, and of course you could be the guy to help them do that, it, it's probably just not going to happen. You're going to be fighting against it. Yes, and that's an excellent point is change is coming. Change is already here, but are they going to take action or do what they've always done, um, which you're a serial entrepreneur. You've created several successful businesses, um, and if you don't jump on the change and get ahead of it, you're going to be left behind, and then when you finally realize, oh, crap, your competition already did that, and it's too late. You're screwed. 
Um, an example, since we're talking about pharmacy on that, that has everyone scared and taking massive action is when everyone got wind that Amazon is coming into the pharmacy realm. So much change happened quickly. CVS bought Aetna, multi-billion dollar deal, okay? Um, just tons of change that happened from that because they're not in it yet, but they are approaching and they see the power that they have. For example, the United States Postal Service, okay, delivers mail Monday through Saturday. But do any of you see postal workers out there on Sunday? Yes. The only reason they work on Sunday is because they have a contract with Amazon to deliver certain packages from Amazon on Sundays. That's pretty powerful, okay? That's just in the mail service. Um, not to mention the market that they own in the online business and so forth. But once, you know, big players in the, ph in the pharmacy world started to hear, like, you know, they're starting to get licenses in states, they're going to be doing the, the pharmacy gig. They see that power, they see the change coming, and they are proactive rather than waiting, like, oh, we'll see if they get into it. Oh, they, they are, oh, it's Amazon, like, all the resources are there, right? So taking that preventive action to, to really jump on that before it starts to come um, is really where the leaders of change are. Um, and I, I think what you said is an excellent point, is getting everyone on board, um, and that's a challenge, but it's those that do it before it becomes the trend that will own that share in that market. And, and your point right there is perfect, and um, I almost want to want to say that that is the best point. I left healthcare as a profession because I could no longer provide the care I wanted. It, it was completely contrary to my personal values and ethics in delivering the best care I could. I was not willing to just be a pawn to make money for a hospital system when I was not doing my best work. That's why I left. I think that's why you and Kevin are both, I mean, Kevin's kind of left medicine in terms of, you know, his, his own business, and, and he's on that entrepreneurial path as you are, and that is truly, to your point, exactly what will create the best pressure so that the whole system does eventually shift. But like I said, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen in our lifetime where all of a sudden single-payer health system is here and everybody's getting what they need preventatively and all of that. I think it's going to be incumbent upon us as individual providers, and one of my Facebook friends had just posted this, that he's also just finishing up school as a nurse practitioner, and he's interested in providing this kind of real care. And, and Sean, to your point, to your question, I don't think it's going to be within that system. You can always talk to patients, you can always do that kind of thing, but to really do it is going to be in a system like the diet doc, where you've got the support, the systems, the curriculum to do it how you want through your own business model, a private practice. Yes. Kevin? Absolutely. I, I've, uh, you know, just as an entrepreneur and trying to collaborate with local health professionals, uh, whether they're, uh, and they're usually affiliated uh, with some institution, uh, there's always some type of agenda in terms of a dieting philosophy of, uh, I mean, as Diet Doc has their own philosophy in terms of flexible nutrition, if you want to call, if you want to make that in philosophy, but uh, it's more of a dogmatic approach to nutrition of it's this or 
sayonara, it's, we, we're not going to help you then. Um, there's no meeting the patient ultimately. It's do what I say or else. And uh, in primary care, it's gone to that, I felt it was, it's gone to that point and that's ultimately one reason why I was, I, I, it's not meeting my values and I had to leave. I had no autonomy, no, uh, and I didn't believe in the, how they're wanting us to manage patients. Yeah. Big points. I'm ready to go for a couple more hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, is there anything else that you'd like to add on this topic as we wrap up? Uh, no, I, I think this is very valuable. I look forward to more gas with you and different, uh, you know, guests and all that. I think this is a great forum. Excellent. So thank well, you. Really appreciate your time, Joe and Kevin. Um, Joe, if people want to learn more about the Diet Talk and reaching you and your history and philosophy with helping patients, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? So if you go to thedietdoc.com, and uh, you, know, you can see the sign above me, thedietdoc.com, you can always contact us there. Uh, Corey and I do receive those email. And uh, as we've kind of alluded to, uh, we are a licensing company, so all of those clinicians and consultants we have around the world, it is a very close, you know, family setting in terms of how we provide the training, the curriculum, the support uh, with even people like you and Kevin as owners of, of Diadoc programs. Uh, the amount of information and support that even you guys feed into the peer group is so profound to us. So first of all, thank you guys both for that. But that creates something that is just completely unscalable for most people. So like my friend Sean, who's in nurse practitioner school right now, you know, for him to say, well, I can do this on my own, or I can tap into this group that has medical directors, dietetics directors, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, health psychologists, all creating systems and supporting each other. It's taken us 25 years, but I think we are a force that is uh, a, the best ally for individual consultants who want to become the leaders in their community, the nutrition experts that can absolutely go into any community, any healthcare system, private payer system, just their own entrepreneurial dreams of having a fitness-based business and they can have all of that support behind them in creating that goal. So that's what we do as a company at this point. We are interested in developing the best clinicians and program owners like you and Kevin, and we just look forward to continuing that into the future, and that's going to be our contribution into healthcare. And guys, I want to just give a personal testimony. I've been involved with the Diadoc since 2014, and the level of support and guidance that they give, not just nutrition, but business development, um, your own personal, so your own mindset, getting you out of your own way. Um, and it's, it's amazing, the level of support. I've never seen this or experienced it in my life, not even from other people who are in other businesses. I tell them what we do, and they're like, wow, you must have paid like 50 grand for that. I'm like, no. <laughs> Um, but, the, and Joe is right, I've made so many personal friends, Kevin, one of them, here I am sitting in his living room, um, and we met through the diet doc, and just everyone's on that path to help other people live their best life, um, so it's truly a family, that's exactly what it is in my eyes, um, and it's the best thing that I have done in my career, um, other than graduating pharmacy school, of course. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, so thank you for that, Joe. Um, Kevin, how can people reach you? Where can they get a hold of you? Um, uh, website is thedidoc-independence.com. Um, otherwise, uh, social media is probably the the best uh, avenue to to reach out or email Kevin at thedidoc.com. Perfect. And then uh, for me, guys, um, I'm on Instagram. I'm big on there at the fit pharmacist that's one of the best ways to reach me you can also check out my website at thefitpharmacist.com powered by the diet doc so um, thank you all for tuning in I really appreciate your time Dr. Joe thank you for tuning in and giving us your expertise and insight into this huge topic of the future of healthcare and nutrition um, and of course Doc, soon to, I'll just call you Dr. Kevin because I'm just going to assume the sale. <laughs> protect the title in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nine more months, nine more months. Nine more months. All right, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, if you do want to reach us and follow up, um, please feel free to reach out, thedietdoc.com, uh, Kevin Brunacini, and myself. It's been a pleasure. We hope you guys have an awesome end to 2017 and an even better start to 2018. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Dr. Joe.